I've got three parts to this morning's talk. There's a surprise for you now, isn't it? Firstly, I'd like us to cast our minds back a few weeks ago now to when Chris spoke to us from the first part of this chapter in Luke. Then we're going to have a look at this morning's reading. And then I want to pull out a couple of points for us to take away. So, part one. There was an old couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth. They desperately wanted to have children, but they couldn't have children. And they were now well past childbearing age. And Zechariah was a priest. Do you remember Chris telling us this? And when it was his turn to serve at the temple in Jerusalem, he was chosen by chance, by God probably, I'm certain, to go into the inner sanctum to burn incense. And in the dark interior of that inner sanctum, an angel appeared to him. He was not a little surprised. And the angel announced that Elizabeth was going to have a son. Not just any son, but a son who would lead the people back to God and prepare the way for God's coming saviour. And they are to call his name John. Zechariah found all this a bit hard to believe. He might have said, you pull him a leg, but it was an angel, so he probably didn't say that. And asked how he could be sure of this. Well, the angel was not, not really pleased with all this doubt that, and questioning that Zechariah was showing. And he said, it is going to happen, it will happen, but you, Zechariah, are going to be unable to speak until it's all been fulfilled. Whether a privilege or a punishment, I know not. But he was unable to speak. And then Zechariah went back home when his time for serving in the temple had finished. And sure enough, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant, and Zechariah also remained unable to speak, just like the angel had said. And so we come to the continuation of that story, part two, from this morning's reading. Elizabeth did give birth and have her son, and uh, just like for most births, the people were very happy. Their friends were very happy for them, but in this case, they were extra joyful and extra happy, because this birth was truly miraculous. Eight days later, when it came time to circumcise the child, according to the Jewish custom, and name him, the people were going to name him after his father. But Elizabeth spoke up. She wasn't dumb. She wasn't unable to speak. She spoke up and said, no, no, his name is to be called John. And the people said, why are you doing that? What's the point of that? There's nobody in your family called John. Pretty common name anyway. Why do you call him John? But when they asked his father, who was not only unable to speak, but it appeared he was deaf as well because they made signs to him, (laughs) he wrote out clearly that the boy's name was to be John. So what was the big deal about the name? I don't know how you came to be called the name you are. I'll let you into a secret why I was called John. My parents gave my older brother, who's only seven years older than me, the opportunity to have a hand in naming me. A risky strategy, if you ask me. At the time, he had an imaginary friend called Jack. My parents decided to smarten this up to John, and so I was named after my brother's imaginary friend. (laughs) I mean, what that does for your self-esteem growing up and knowing that... Do I really exist anyway? (laughs) Why your parents called you your name? You you might know 
You might not. Maybe it was cho- or maybe if you've got children, why you called your child the name they did. Was it a name that they liked at the time? Was there a famous singer called that? Or was, or was it because of somebody in the family who was called by that name? Or some other reason? Because it sounded nice? For this new baby, it was for none of these reasons. You see, in Bible times, names were frequently chosen to say something of what the parents hoped or wished or wanted the child to be or become or the work they wanted them to do. And the name John has the meaning of God is gracious or the Lord is gracious. And John, their little John, was going to be the one chosen to show that God is gracious in sending someone to prepare the way who would show his grace to its fullest extent. I'm glad both parents were insistent that he was to be called that name because through that little baby who grew up to be a a big man, God's grace was shown and God's grace was foretold. At this point, Zechariah was immediately healed of being unable to speak. The first thing he did was to praise God. I can't think of a better use for somebody's voice than doing that. Several months he'd been unable to speak and he probably had lots of time to think over his life and what he was doing and why he was, why he'd been made unable to speak. So from being apparently unbelieving, his reaction was to break into praise to God. Meanwhile, all the neighbours, as we've just read, and folk living even at a distance were, it says in verse 65, filled with awe. What's going on? A miraculous birth to an old couple? The baby given an unexpected name? A father suddenly healed of being unable to speak and then bursting out in praise to God? They asked, what then is this child going to be? And then a lovely phrase follows it, for the Lord's hand was with him. God had his hand on this child and was going to use him. Keep these two phrases in your mind because we, we're going to come back to them. And then in the rest of our reading, Zechariah filled with the Holy Spirit, praising God and prophesying. If you have a Bible with you, have it open, if you would, at Luke chapter 1 and verses 68 to 79. We're going to look through these verses. This has come to be known as the Benedictus. Those of you who are real Anglicans will have heard that phrase before, Um, which I suspect most of us here haven't heard it before. Meaning, blessed be, the title of our talk this morning. Here's the first part of it. All sorts of lovely phrases and ideas come tumbling out of the mouth of Zechariah in response to him being filled and prompted with the Holy Spirit. That mouth that for so long had been Silent, now given over to praising God, telling forth the greatness of God, about what God would do for his people. And he's saying it, it's a prophecy, he's saying it as if it's already happened, but it is coming to fulfillment. Some of the key words we have here are that, verse 68, God has come to redeem his people, literally to buy them back from the situation they find themselves trapped in. They're overrun by a foreign occupying power. But more than that, they're in a desperate spiritual state. And God was going to bring them out of that state and buy them back to himself. They were sort of in slavery, a bit like being back in Egypt all over again, away from God. But God would pay the price 
to bring them out of that slavery back to himself. We read in verse 69 that this wasn't just wishful thinking because God has the power to bring this about. That Talking about horn, often in the Bible the, the horn is a symbol of power and strength. God has the power to do this and raise up someone who would bring salvation from their enemies and show mercy to their ancestors. And this wasn't just some kind of afterthought, but had been promised going back hundreds of years to the time of the great King David. And even long before that, to the time of Abraham, God had this plan in mind long before the people knew about it. Probably back before the creation of the world. God had this salvation plan, this rescue plan in hand. It wasn't some kind of, oh, they've messed up, what are we going to do now? God had it all in hand and all in mind. This great saviour would enable them to serve God without fear in holiness and righteousness. What a great manifesto to be putting forth. Better than any of the political manifestos we read and see. No wonder it's called the Benedictus, blessing God for the blessings he was bringing to his people. And then, in a shift, Zechariah turns to his new son and turns the focus on him and prophesies about him in the next part of our reading. This child was to be a a prophet and would go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. He would lead the people to know God's salvation through their sins being forgiven, not just by being nicer people or trying trying harder, but getting to the root of the problem by their sins being forgiven. Zechariah in his prophecy describes this saviour who's coming in verse 78 as the rising sun coming to the people from heaven. And this rising sun would, verse 79, shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Wow, that's a lot of stuff to take in, isn't it? like eating a a rich Christmas cake. So much to take in and digest. We all like to see a beautiful sunrise. Well, most of us do, if we're up early enough. The darkness and the gloom of the night have been replaced by the beautiful and uplifting rising sun. And the promise of the light and day is brought to us after the gloom of the night. And Zechariah is prophesying that God is sending his rising sun, and you could spell sun whichever way you like, S-O-N or S-U-N, into a dark world. And that rising sun is, of course, Jesus. Zechariah is prophesying that those who are now walking in darkness and overshadowed by death, physical and spiritual, would see the beautiful sunrise of God's chosen Savior coming to them. Here God is revealing that his dealings with people are reaching a climax, a historical climax. And it is the turning point of history, isn't it? Before Christ, after Christ. The whole of history hinges on that. These Old Testament prophecies are coming true and God is breaking into his world in an unprecedented way, revealing himself to people, coming to rescue them, if they would only be willing to be rescued. 
to repent and turn and follow their, their saviour, the coming saviour, Jesus. As we look around our world, we still need this rescue. Our world, boy, does this world need our saviour, Jesus. What a mess things are in the darkness and gloom as we look around the world. We need that light of Jesus to guide us into his light, life and peace. This is what our nation needs. And while we're still just pointing out to those out there, this is what we need as individuals, the light and life, forgiveness and salvation of Jesus coming to us. What a wonderful pronouncement that Zechariah is making. Most of us here know what happened to John. He became John the Baptist, grew up, and was a rough, tough man living in the desert and calling the people to repent in no uncertain terms. If he preached in Christchurch in the way he preached to the people coming to the River Jordan, the place might be half empty this time next week, or it might be a lot fuller, I'm not sure. Perhaps sometimes we sugar the pillar a little bit too much and say, well, let's try and be nicer people. No, God, uh, John the Baptist called people to repent of their sins, for God to forgive them. That is what we need to be telling people and telling ourselves as well. The third part of this morning's talk. Yes, we got to the third part already. You can go home soon. I'd like to focus on two particular phrases from earlier on. Can you remember what they were? Verse 66. What then is this child going to be? What is this child going to be? Looking around at you, I really don't know much about your early life. Only two of you. Maybe your parents and friends had expectations, aspirations for you. Maybe... As they looked down at you in your cot, they thought, what is he, she going to grow up into? What will they become? What lies ahead for them? What decisions are they going to make? I know for some of us, this might stir unpleasant feelings because maybe some of our parents had totally unrealistic expectations of us. Maybe for some of us, our parents, quite frankly, didn't show the love, care and nurture that they should have. The last thing I want to do is open old wounds. But more than our parents having hopes and aspirations for you when you were just that big or even smaller, God himself had hopes and aspirations for you. A plan, what he wanted to happen to your life and mine. How he wanted to take hold of our life and make it into the life that he'd always intended you to have. He wasn't surprised, maybe your parents were surprised by your birth, wasn't expecting that. But God wasn't at all surprised, not at all. He was ready and waiting for you to take up his offer of rescue and to walk with you throughout your life. And so it can be still asked of us, what are you going to grow into? Every one of us here, we can still ask that question of us. We haven't finished yet. The story still goes on. What are you going to grow into? No, 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 you're not too old. You know, it hasn't all been done. God still has plans, aspirations, if I could put it that way, for your life and mine, however young or however old we may be. How are we doing? Are we being faithful to the calling that God has called us to? 
Maybe some here haven't yet said yes to Jesus to to be Lord and Savior of their lives and need to take that first step of saying, sorry, please take my life as I am. Forgive me for all the wrongs in my life and come and just take over my life from now on. It's not too late, however old or however young you are. For those who are part of God's family, how's it going? God's got a plan. The job description, maybe not as detailed as it was for John the Baptist, but God has a plan for your life and mine. How's it going? Are we being faithful to what we already know God wants us to do and be? It's not about being great. It's not about being noticed. It's about being faithful to God in what he calls us to. Living a life for and with God. And our job, a major part of our job, is just like John the Baptist, to point others to Jesus. Not to ourselves, to point others to Jesus. However God chooses for us to do that. And the other phrase I'd like to point to is... The second half of verse 66, for the Lord's hand was with him. It's a lovely phrase. It's a lovely phrase. The Lord's hand was with him. It speaks of someone who God gives the strength and direction they need to live in a way that pleases him. Can you think of other people in the Bible who who we could say the Lord's hand was with him or her? Well, maybe that's a question for home groups. I haven't prepared any questions for home group, but that's the first one if you need some help. The Lord's hand was with him or her. Lovely people, and sometimes not so lovely people in Scripture, who the Lord takes hold of and uses in particular ways, ways that sometimes seemed quite strange. In fact, look at John the Baptist himself. He went on to live a life that was challenging, to say the least, and ended up being beheaded in a squalid dungeon. But whatever the Lord calls us to, you and me too, Surely by now, every one of us here has realized that there's no better way to live than to have a life that is lived for God, with God, and knowing the Lord's hand with us. When we get to the end of our lives, which will happen sooner or later for all of us here, when we get to the end of our lives, it'll be good to know that we've walked with Jesus and that he's walked with us. Yes, we'll have made mistakes, sometimes horrible mistakes, sometimes things that we really wish had never happened. But when we get to the end, to know that Jesus has walked with us and we've walked with him throughout our life, that'd be great, won't it? Through thick and thin, he's been with us. And that he will continue to lead us on and we'll be with him for eternity. Let's go on to grow into what God always intended us to be, shall we? God bless us all.